welcome to Coco Conjure. Here we talk about all things magic, hoodoo, wellness, spiritual journeys, and folklore. I feel so blessed to have you with me today. For this episode, we're going to discuss Black American folklore as it relates to the tradition of hoodoo. The first story I'm going to read to you comes from the book American Negro Folktales, collected by the folklorist Richard M. Dorson. This may be surprising for some, when most folks think Black American folklore and hoodoo tales, their mind automatically summons an image of Zora Neale Hurston in her super stylish hat and her furs, talking about jigs she danced on dirt floors and bumping gums with Florida workmen before they get to the mill. But don't you worry, we will also get to a tale from Zora's book of Mules and Men. We have got to talk about Zora Neale Hurston. Zora is one of the few black people writing about black people. Her fiction stories such as Their Eyes Are Watching God is considered a classic, but fewer people know of her work as an anthropologist. She traveled to Florida, Haiti, and New Orleans and collected many tales and studied under many hoodoo and Haitian voodoo practitioners. One of the things I found in my quest to better understand the spiritual foundations of my culture was that Zora wasn't the only one documenting the insane creativity of black culture. She was just one of the best. Another chronicler of black American tales is Richard M. Dorson. In his day, he was a distinguished professor and director of folklore at Indiana University. In 1952 and 1953, Professor Dorson recorded folklore and other narratives from Black Americans who migrated from the South to the Northwest and Western regions of the country. A very hard thing to do for a white man in Black spaces, let me tell you. The first chapter of his book, Dorson details how he met and came to interview each person who tells him the tales that make up this collection. Most of the people he interviewed were one or two generations removed from the Deep South and took their animal tales, cunning John stories, and warnings of two-headed hoodoos with them as they migrated. In the first chapter of American Negro Folk Tales, Dorson writes the following. The Negro folk tales presented here are, of course, much more than a body of entertaining stories. They open the door into a submerged culture finally moving into its rightful place in American life. One or two generations back, their families lived in the South of conjured doctors and chanting preachers reflected in these tales. The young Negro professor chatting gaily and cleverly with his white colleagues seems a product of the same academic environment as theirs and a master of the same jargon. But in a moment, if you know his world, he will switch to the other world of his birth and childhood and tell of his illiterate grandmother in Alabama who has seen the spirits and knows all about signs and omens. The contrast between the two worlds may appear to oppose, but from another perspective, one may perceive deep resources of mind and imagination, of tongue and tradition of colored folk unknown in the plaid lives of college-bred white people. The folk tales of Negro Americans are one expression of those sources. The first selection is more of a how-to than a full folk tale. This short tale is listed as 93, Becoming a Two-Head, told to Professor Dorson by Mary Richardson. I heard my father say there was a man teaching another man how to be a hoodoo. He told him, throw nine grains of corn in the creek before sunrise, then go back in the ninth morning and wish your soul was as far in hell as the water was that hit the grains of corn. And the devil then would come and teach him how to be a hoodoo. The devil would tell him anything he wanted to know, how to make poison and drive people crazy. That's the way hoodoos come about. They tell me they learn it from the devil. 
All right, cousins, listen here. We know full and well hoodoo is not from the devil. Like, we can already just put that to rest right now. As a matter of fact, in Professor Yvonne P. Chirot's book, Black Magic, Religion and the African Conjuring Tradition, she lists a smattering of ways one can be a hoodoo. In it, she writes, many supernatural specialists were born with the gift, marked or chosen at the start of their lives. So what are ways you can be born a hoodoo? Uh, Being born a hoodoo would include being born with an amniotic veil or a call over your head. If you were the seventh child of a seventh child, uh, it was said that you had the ability to conjure eventually. Heck, if you were born on Christmas Day, that meant you were born for hoodoo. If you hop on YouTube or Instagram, you'll find hoodoos and conjure people who are ready and willing to provide receipts of their magical lineage going back to indigenous Americans or small town high powered workers. Side note, my great grandmother looked my mother dead in the eye while nudging her head in my direction. And she said, that girl's been here before. It's something one of my older aunties have also said to me when I was younger. And to my knowledge, neither my great-grandmother nor my auntie believe in reincarnation. So this is wild to me. I don't carry some long family history of prestigious workers. So I think this offhanded comment is as close as I'm going to get to being born a hoodoo. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Going back to the tale I just read to you. Mary Richardson herself doesn't mention hoodoos as being born. We can argue that because she doesn't mention it, that doesn't mean it's not important. However, she does tell us that hoodoos have to be trained. They must find a teacher, be it some man or the devil himself, to show them the ropes. As much as we hate to admit it, we also know that hoodoos can in fact be made. The entire second half of Zornor Hurston's book of Mules and Men is dedicated to her traversing the New Orleans hoodoo underground and learning from skilled masters of the trade. She's even initiated under several teachers. To my knowledge, Miss Hurston was not born with a call or was the seventh child of the seventh child. And her birthday is on January 7th. I looked it up. So maybe there's something to the idea that hoodoos are made, not just born. Born or made, what we can tell is that Richardson thinks hoodoos are dangerous. We can partly gather that from the tale itself. Richardson uh, says to us, the devil would tell him anything he wanted to know, how to make poison and drive people crazy. If you know your hoodoo history, think of someone like uh, Dr. Buzzard. In his book, 50 Years as a Low Country Witch Doctor, Sheriff J.E. McTeer had arrested Dr. Buzzard after he found a witness willing to testify in a malpractice case that Dr. Buzzard had given him a route to remove some illness from his body. When the witness was confronted with Dr. Buzzard again, the great hoodoo doctor stared him down till the man had fits and started like thrashing about all over the floor Uh, McTeer describes it like he was patting himself down and rolling around the floor like he had ants all over him. So Buzzard had this ability to curse and cure, as we can see. He was literally sending this guy invisible ants because he snitched on him. I wouldn't want to cross Buzzard. There's power in that. There's power in being a two-head. You feel what I'm saying? There's power in being able to cure someone and know the plants or the prayers or the chants or the whatever to cure someone physically, spiritually, mentally. And then also take that same knowledge and be able to like defend yourself or 
um, stop somebody from talking against you or um, send back whatever it was that somebody sent to you. Like there's power in being two headed. There's power in walking that line between light and right and the, and the dark and dirty. All right. Now let's tackle the elephant in the room. Hoodoo's getting their ability to like sell their souls is wild to me. Most times, even now, when you meet someone in the hoodoo space, they would tell you that they do their work through spirit, capital S, or the Abrahamic Trinity. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is true for now and back in the day. Christianity, though I personally believe is not necessary to practice modern hoodoo, is very much a garden bed in which hoodoo grew. So, If your powers of love and light and curing ailments is attributed to God, capital G, or spirit, capital S, it stands to reason that anyone who believes in the dichotomy of good and evil would say that the ability to harm and curse is not of God. That would mean it's from the adversary. That means it's from Satan. So, of course, you have to sell your soul to some force that's not of God, and that's how you get the knowledge to use God's creation to create absolute havoc. Like, it's... It's an easy leap. Now, what if I told you that that dichotomy of good and evil is not so white and black and hoodoo? Sure, in the tale told to us by Richardson, the devil is exactly what you think it is. But in a story told to us by Mathilda Mosley in Zorna Hurston's book of Mules and Men, the devil is a partner in crime. The devil paved the way for women to own their power in a world ruled by men. So listen to this tale. Tell me what you think. You see, in the very first days, God made a man and a woman and put them in the house to live together. Way back in them days, the woman was just as strong as the man, and both of them did the same things. They used to get to fussing about who's going to do this and that, and sometimes they fight, but they was even balanced, and neither one could whip the other one. One day, the man said to himself, Believe I'm going to go see God and ask him for a little more strength so I can whip this woman and make her mine. I am tired of the way things is. So he went up to God. Good morning, old father. Howdy, man. What you doing around my throne so soon this morning? Ah, I'm troubled in mind and nobody can ease my spirit except in you. God said, put your plea in the right form and I'll answer. The man said, Old maker with the morning stars glittering in your shining crown, with the dust from your footsteps making worlds upon worlds, with the blazing bird we call a sun flying out of your right hand in the morning and consuming all the flesh and blood of a stump black darkness and comes flying home every evening to rest on your left hand and never once in all your eternal years misstood the left from the right. I ask you please to give me more strength than that woman you gave me so I can make her mind and I know you don't want to always be coming down way past the moon and stars to be straightening her out and it's got to be done so give me a little more strength old maker and I'll do it all right man you got more strength than the woman God said so the man run all the way down the stairs from heaven till he got home he was so anxious to try his strength on that woman he couldn't take his time. Soon as he got in the house, he hollered, Woman, here's your boss. God told me to handle you in whichever way I please. I'm your boss.
Of course the woman flew to fighting him right off. She fought him frightening, but he beat her. She got her wind and tried again, but he whipped her again. She got herself together and made a third try on him vigorous, but he beat her every time. He was so proud he could whip her at last that he just crowded over her and made her do lots of things she didn't like. He told her, long as you obey me, I'll be good to you. But every time you rear up, I'm going to put plenty wood on your back and plenty water in your eyes. The woman was so mad, she went straight to heaven and stood before the Lord. She didn't waste no words. She said, Lord, I come before you mighty mad today. I want back my strength and power I used to have. God responded, woman, you got the same power you had since the beginning. The woman said, why is it then that that man can beat me now and he used to couldn't do it? God responded, he got more strength than he used to have. He come and asked me for it and I give it to him. I give to them that ask and you ain't ever asked me for no more power. The woman pleaded, please, sir, God, I'm asking you for it now. Just give me the same you give him. God shook his head. It's too late now, woman. What I give, I never take back. I give him more strength than you, and no matter how much I give you, he'll have more. The woman was so mad, she wheeled around and went on off. She went straight to the devil and told him what happened. He said, don't be disencouraged, woman. You listen to me, and you'll come out more than a conqueror. Take them frowns out your face and turn around and go right on back to heaven and ask God to give you that bunch of keys hanging by the mantelpiece. Then you bring them to me, and I'll show you what to do with them. So, the woman climbed back up to heaven again. She was mighty tired, but she was more outdone than she was tired. So she climbed all night long and got back up to heaven again. When she got before the throne, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. The woman said, Oh, Lord and master of the rainbow, I know your power. You never make two mountains without you put a valley in between. I know you can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. <laughs> God said, ask for what you want, woman. She said, God, give me that bunch of keys hanging by your mantelpiece. And the Lord said, take them. So the woman took the keys and hurried on back down to the devil with them. There were three keys on the bunch. Devil said, see these three keys? They got more power in them than all the strength a man can ever get if you handle them right. Now this first big key is the dew of the kitchen. And you know a man always favors his stomach. This second one is the key to the bedroom. And <laughs> he don't like to be shut out from that neither. And this last key is the key to the cradle, and he don't want to be cut off from his generations. So now you take these keys and go lock up everything and wait till he come to you. Then don't unlock nothing until he use his strength for your benefits and for your desires. The woman thanked him and told him, if it wasn't for you, Lord knows what us poor woman folk would do. She started off, but the devil halted her just one more thing don't go home bragging about your keys 
Just lock up everything and say nothing until you get asked. And then, don't talk too much. The woman went on home and did like the devil told her. When the man come home for work, she was sitting on the porch singing some song about peck on the wood, make the bed go good. When the man found the three doors fastened where it used to stand wide open, he swelled up like pine lumber after rain. First thing he tried to break in, cause he figured his strength would overcome all obstacles. When he saw he couldn't do it, he asked the woman, who lock up this dough? She told him, me? He asked, where'd you get the key from? She responded, God gave it to me. He ran up to God and said, God, woman got me locked away from my vitals, my bed, and my generations, and she said you give her the keys. God said, I did, man. I give her the keys, but the devil showed her how to use them. Well, old maker, please give me some keys just like them so she can't get full control. God said, nah, man, what I give, I give. Woman got the key. The man asked, how can I know about my generations? And God responded, ask the woman. So the man come on back and submitted himself to the woman, and she opened the doors. He wasn't satisfied, but he had to give in. Way after a while, he said to the woman, let us divide up. I'll give you half my strength if you let me hold the keys in my hands. The woman thought that over, so the devil popped and told her, tell him no. Let him keep his strength, and you keep your keys. So the woman wouldn't trade with him, and the man had to mortgage his strength to her to live. And that's why the man makes and the woman takes. Step on a pen, the pen bent, and that's the way the story went. The first time I read that story, and let me tell you, it comes up pretty soon in Zora Neale Hurston's book of Mules and Men's. I think it starts on page, like, 30, 31, and ends on 34. So you don't got to read for long before you get to it. The first time I read that story, I had to read it to every single person <laughs> that I could, like, I had to read it to my mama, my sister, everybody. It was hilarious to me. I don't know why. I think it was like the full outrage of everybody involved. The man was mad. The woman was mad. I think it was because, you know, God is trying to be this impartial thing you ask me and I give you know he's generous and loving but he doesn't actually teach them how to use it he doesn't teach them how to use their power you know and the the devil is the one (laughs) once things get hairy it's the devil that is like okay got you I'm going to teach you how to protect yourself I'm going to teach you how to leverage a different kind of power you go fighting and you're fighting and you're you're using your strength and your physical body but there's more to survival than your physical strength you also have to be cunning you have to be cunning so that's a whole different take on the devil right like folklorically I don't know if that's a word we'll say it's a word folklorically the devil isn't always just evil 
and that doesn't it doesn't matter if it's european folklore african-american folklore across like across folklore the devil is usually like a trickster or a cunning person or someone with secret knowledge that they use you know for their benefit that's the devil so it makes sense to me that mary richardson in our first tale is saying that you know clearly the hoodoos have worked with the devil because a hoodoo person is out here using the herbs and the roots and the poisons and the whatever else in a way that is unconventional in a way that uh defies what societally we think is correct though most of us like to walk that light and right path we would be remiss in denying the darker parts of hoodoo um social media influencer and folk magic practitioner. Her name is Olivia Graves. She goes by the Witch of Wonderlust. Um, she reminds us in a few of her videos that blessing and bane grow on the same stalk. Meaning, anything that can be used to bless can be used to harm. Example, you do some uh, root work with foxglove and you ingest it. You might very well be sent to the emergency room because your heart stopped. You're not supposed to ingest foxglove. It's poisonous. However, people with heart arrhythmias are sometimes prescribed digitalis, a drug named after the scientific name of the plant used in the prescription drug. I'm going to give you three guesses to what the digitalis plant is, and the first two do not count. Yes, digitalis is the scientific name for foxglove. So foxglove, a poisonous plant, is being used to help someone get their heart right. We're poisoning someone so they can have a healthier heart. Make that make sense. Okay, let's bring this back around to hoodoo. Sheriff J.E. McTeer talks about a prominent hoodoo worker, Dr. Bug. Uh, Dr. Bug was giving young men a bit of arsenic with moonshine. That sounds horrible and unforgivable. That is till you find out he was giving it to young men so they could dodge the draft and not be sent off to war. Okay, now to some of you, that's still horrible. But the combination of arsenic and moonshine would cause heart palpitations and the young men wouldn't be able to pass their physical required by the armed forces. So what would you choose? A little arsenic and moonshine now, or dead on the front lines later. Dr. Bug did a horrible thing, and yet his knowledge of poisons may have saved someone's life. The world around us is not so black and white. It's not so cut and dry. Okay, so in wrapping this up, let's talk about some other lessons we learned here. First, and probably most interestingly, hoodoo conjuration doesn't have to be something you're born with. And even if you are born with the power to conjure or the power to interact with the unseen, study is valuable. Knowledge is power. Study is important. That way you know how to use your talents and abilities, spiritual or not. And don't put a label on it. As you're studying, as you're learning about yourself and your spiritual path, it's you have to understand it's not going to be black and white. Well, one person calls evil and the devil, another person is going to say, you saved, like this saved me. <laughs> this helped me 
be a better person. This evened the playing field for me. So don't judge what you learn. Don't judge um, whether or not it's good or bad. Just have the knowledge. The good or bad does not come from the knowledge. The good or bad comes from how we use it. It comes from how we use it. All right. So we're at that portion of the podcast where I pick a uh, entry from the boards, from Reddit, from Facebook, wherever, and answer it as best as I can. (laughs) So this first question comes from Reddit. Uh, it's titled return to sender spell in your experience. Does anyone have any suggestions on how to make a proper protective return to sender spell for negative energy? I don't want to cause harm to anyone. I just want negative energy from other people to stay away from me and go back to them. Mostly, I feel like I have a coworker who is using me as target practice for their anger. And while I believe this coworker is not a bad person, I still don't want their negative energy. Any tips, tricks, or personal experiences are welcomed. All right, listen. Um, I already have an issue with the word energy. I, we're not going to talk about it here, but it's kind of nebulous. Uh, I think we, though, all understand what this person is saying. They, the coworker is just being a grump and nasty and not easy to work with, and this person wants to give it back. The thing that I think a lot of newer practitioners don't seem to understand is that if you don't want to harm someone, but you also want to give something back like that, that doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work. um, If someone sent you harm or sent you something feeling negative and nasty and you send it back, you are sending back harm and negativity and nastiness. So you can't send something back, but also not want to um, cause the same trouble that the person caused you. That doesn't make sense inherently, right? So if I were to give advice to this person, I would tell them that um, a return to sender work is not necessarily what you're looking for. Because sending back nasty and negativity and and just grumpiness would only serve to put more of that on that person's plate. And if you don't want to harm them, you have to stop the cycle of harm, not send it back. I do think it's important to know how to return a sender. um, But it's not necessarily something that we should deploy every time we get something we don't want. Instead, I think it's more important that you learn to protect yourself and that, that's spiritually and mundane. So first, if this person is being nasty to you, you need to go to HR or a boss and be like, hey, listen, can I move cubicles? Um, can I not be put on a team with this person? They are overall nasty and grumpy, and I don't want to participate. I don't want to participate in whatever it is that is going on with them. The second thing that you can do mundane is to just be kind. Be kind, be um, nice to that person, almost aggressively. So go out of your way to be nice to them. It's really hard for people who are nasty to continue the nastiness, especially in front of other people. If the person they're being nasty to is countering it with aggressive kindness, <laughs> like just aggressively being happy and nice and kind. Lastly, on a spiritual way, uh, it's probably better to protect yourself to put up a bubble 
of um, protection around you spiritually so that way you're not absorbing what this person is giving there's a couple ways to do that um and i think open source general witch craftery uh people would make a witch bottle that's those bottles you see that have the wax on top and that bottle would then be an aim for this person's negative experience uh so instead of it hitting you it would hit them that's the idea spiritually around that um I'm a big fan of uh, wearing jewelry, uh, like armor almost. So I might have a protective charm or jewelry on me or um, I'm a hoodoo worker. So a mojo bag or something like that to carry with me that um, is compelled to uh, just repel, to just not allow someone else's negative bad juju on me (laughs) so that's another way you can go about it um there's many different ways to protect yourself uh if you're a crystal girl I'm sure there's some crystal out there I'm not a crystal girl I don't get um I don't get the energies and the vibes and the vibrations and all that from crystals. Uh, I'm going to get my sister on here. She can talk to you about all that, but I'm, I'm not her. (laughs) So if there's something like that, um, you could, uh, use a crystal of some sort to put on your desk at work to repel that, to, um, not allow for that to penetrate your space like at all. So yeah, I think you want protection, not a return to sender, although it is worth looking up how to do a return to sender. Uh, so that way that's also in your arsenal, but that's not necessarily what you're looking for right now because returning what they gave you uh, would go against your directive of not causing harm. Okay, so the last story also comes from Reddit. This one from one of the Conjure and Rootwork boards. It says, My mother is so religious, she wouldn't dare say devil. I've already expressed that I don't have the same beliefs as her, but I was never specific. I've been using other spiritual tools like tarot and crystals, but I would like a way to connect my own culture into my spirituality. I just don't feel comfortable being open with my family about my beliefs. I would also love book recommendations so I can learn more about our history. Uh, Oh, I didn't read the title. The title says 17 and living in a Jehovah Witness family. Any ways to secretly connect with my ancestors? So. mm, First of all, I would like to say that anyone out there who's living in a family that does not share the same beliefs as you and their beliefs would demonize whatever it is that you're trying to use in order to better yourself. You need to be careful especially when it comes to high demand religions like Jehovah Witnesses or uh, Mormon culture. Um, Depending on how orthodox that person is, your family is, they could disown you and kick you out of your home or make life really, really hard for you. And that's not what your spirituality is supposed to do. Your spirituality is supposed to alleviate your afflictions and make you feel... um, better moving throughout the world moving throughout the life we're given so um just know that if you're a broom closet practitioner meaning um someone who's it's (laughs) it's a take on like how the queer community they're in the closet we say the same thing for uh spiritualists you're in the broom closet if you're you know not practicing openly 
Um, if that's you, just know that you've got all the time in the world to practice your craft once you leave your parents' house, especially if you are um, very, very young. But to answer this person's question, one of the ways that you can connect to your ancestry, and I'm assuming uh, this person is black because, like I said, they are on a conjure and hoodoo board. Um, but one of the ways to connect to that is by reading uh, folklore like we did today. Um, the One of the coolest books to read, one of the, the most fun books would be Zorno Hurston. Uh, Mules and Men is the name of the book. I used that book uh, today uh, while um, just talking about hoodoo as it relates to folklore. And um, there's tons of tales in here, but not only are there a lot of stories in here, but there's a whole section in the back as it relates to hoodoo. And, um, you know, if your parents see you reading Zorno Hurston, they'll probably just think you out here, you know, reading some some good literature. <laughs> they won't think much of it. Now, I will say Zora writes in a way where um, she emphasizes the person's uh, accent, like she writes in their dialect. So that can be kind of hard. Uh, I know I was in high school when I first came across Zora's work and um, I literally had, to, <laughs> I was the crazy person on the back of the bus, the back of the public bus, like reading out loud because it took me a minute or two every time I picked up the book to get into the feel of the way these people spoke. But after a while, especially if you're someone um, who grew up in a black community, after a while, it um, your brain switches. <laughs> Your your brain swaps from, you know, how we speak out in the world when we're around a mixed group of people to how we speak when we talk to each other. And it reads that way. It reads like how we speak to each other. Uh, so Zorno Hurston of Mules and Men. Great book. Uh, the first part is a bunch of folklore. They call them lies. They say they're, they're, they're telling lies. And these people, mind you, are not some of them are, yes, repeating what they heard as they grew up, but a lot of times they are coming with this stuff off the top of their dome. Like they're coming it, they're coming with it like as they're saying it. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, so that's Zorna Hurston, Mules and Men. Um, another book that we looked at today um, would be that would be helpful to you is Richard M. Dorsen's American Negro Folk Tales. Uh, that was the first story it was from. It wasn't really a story. It was just like how hoodoos are formed, but you get what I'm saying. This book um, is just a collection of tales. Uh, he approaches it like a scientific study. Um, there's, like he categorizes the tales he gives a little bit of back backstory on the people and uh, where they're coming from when they tell these stories but it's a great way I think to get into um, just the mindset of our culture and of you know um, what we value I think not just and, and the foundations of a practice can be built on these things Another thing you can do uh, is to talk to your living relatives. So if you get your mom to open up about how she grew up, I promise you you'll find some things that don't jive 
with being a witness. <laughs> like there's there's usually something in there, a little kernels that don't line up with um whatever faith they're in. If they're they're eating black eyed peas and rice and collard greens with ham hock on New Year's Day, it don't say that in the Bible. <laughs> it don't say that at all. Um, so I think that's important. I, I can't give any, um, like I can't give any folklore books or, uh, books to read book recs. I can't give any book recs to anyone outside of the black community if you're listening, but I think that the advice still stands. Um, if you are in the broom closet and you're unable to figure out how to, um, study while being safe at home, uh, don't don't go the straight and narrow route like don't be the don't do the obvious you have to be cunning you have to understand you understand that knowledge is power and that knowledge can come from anywhere and it's how we use that knowledge that uh can really have an impact on our life so go find the folklore go find the anthropology books go find um books that are not inherently witchy inherently spiritual but talk about the topic. I promise you, there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of value in that. And just going back to talking to your living relatives and getting the lore of your family, when you find those things that don't jive, that don't click, that don't connect with their current spiritual life or how they would identify spiritually, religiously, don't point it out. (laughs) Don't point it out. Just let it be. Just listen and take notes. And then later you can go back and decide what you want to use, what you don't want to use. If it has value to your practice, if it doesn't have value, maybe the only value it has is just that you know it, that you were able to spend time with grandma and, you know, your great uncle Bob and just enjoy them as a person. That might be the only value uh, that you get out of it. But um, whatever it is that doesn't connect like the the disconnect between how they live culturally and how they express themselves spiritually and the religion that they uh, identify with, whatever that disconnect is, never point it out. Just let it be there. If you've made it this far into my podcast, I want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you had just as much fun as I did. It's been so, so long since I read dramatically in front of anyone or to anyone. So this was a good time. This was definitely a good time for me. Um, Please subscribe to my channel or to the podcast. Please follow the podcast. Uh, Please leave a comment or uh, leave a review. All of that is just great stuff. Before we get out of here, I just want to talk to you guys about the books that I Uh, referenced in the course of making this podcast we spoke a lot about Zora Neale Hurston uh, Mules and Men we also spoke a lot about Richard M. Dorson's book American Negroes the other two books that I bring up is Professor Yvonne P. Chereau's book Black Magic Religion and the African-American Conjuring Tradition this book is great Um, it's very much a historical look at Uh, hoodoo from plantation to modern day uh, and very much about like the um, harming healing systems that are involved the break between 
you know, traditional spiritualists and the black church. Great stories in this book. Love it. You can also find Yvonne P. Chereau, if you type her name into uh, YouTube, uh, you can get her name in the description below. Uh, she has a great talk with the Harvard Divinity School and also with another pa- podcaster. Uh, uh, I think her name is Little Juju. I love her. She's great. And then lastly, a really short book too. The last book that I referenced was 50 Years as a Low Country Witch Doctor by Sheriff J.E. McTeer. Um, This is a weird one. Uh, The sheriff talks about, you know, the granny magic in his own uh, family and then how he uses hoodoo to interact with and share an understanding with uh, the black residents in his county. Uh, he's got court cases in here, which I think are hilarious. He's got um, like letters that people have sent to him. He actually worked as a practitioner, uh, free of charge mostly, and he only did the light and right. So um, just to counterbalance a lot of the negative stuff he was trying to lock up people for. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, in the description below, you'll find all of um, my references. Before we get out of here, I just want to say that you deserve all of the great things in this world. And that if you call for your blessings, they will come to you. See you guys next time.